Well, the Spirit of God has um, directed me to revisit a message that I preached many, many years ago. And that message was uh, titled, Three Personalities of Apostasy. Uh, and in the beginning, it was just one message, and then it morphed into three messages. But uh, beginning today, uh, we're really going to take our time and uh, take a much deeper dive into the subject matter, amen. So this morning, we're going to uh, begin a very thorough series on this topic, and uh, we're going to open up with some vital preliminary thoughts, lay some spiritual groundwork. So we were reading first from 1 Corinthians 14 and 29. Three passages to read, first here out of 1 Corinthians 14 and 29. Let the prophets speak two or three. Let the other judge. A commandment to judge. Somebody say amen. amen. Now turn over to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Another commandment to judge or to try. Now turn finally over to the last book in the New Testament, the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Revelation 2. Verses 1 and 2. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear or tolerate them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and has found them liars. Our first introductory thought here, a vindication of biblical judging. A vindication of biblical judging. Father, in Jesus' name, we love your light. We love the light of thy word. We love the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Father God, we embrace that light. We come to the light. We're asking, Father God, that you would teach us in the light of thy word. We thank you, Lord God, for saving us. We thank you, Lord, for illuminating our spirit and teaching us, guiding us by the Holy Ghost into all truth. We thank you and give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So contrary to the well-established doctrinal posture of the modern church and all three of our sacred texts, trying or judging is presented in a positive light. Yea, at the plain reading of God's word, these three passages couldn't possibly leave any other impression but biblical judging is both essential and commanded. Why then the great disparity in the doctrinal stance of today's professing church and the simple reading of the Bible? Well, the answer is clear. The enemy has promoted an extra-biblical and irrational view of judging. Somebody say amen. amen. Psalms 37 and 28 says, For the Lord loveth judgment. Amen. The God of the Bible loves judgment, amen? And that's, that's not some obscure verse there. There are many verses that teach the exact, exact same thing, amen? So make no mistake, the God of the Bible loves and executes righteous judgment. Moreover, throughout the scriptures, both in the Old and the New Testaments, he commands his people, you and I, to practice righteous judgment. Now you think about that, amen, with the, 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 probably the, one of the most common threads that ties together the apostate church is their hatred for judgment. 
And there's an utter hatred for judgment. The idea that judgment is off limits when in fact, amen, we are commanded to judge. Isaiah 56 and 1, thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment and do justice. The prophet Amos thundered, hate the evil and love the good and establish judgment in the gate. And yet the same prophet, prophet Amos, laments in the very same chapter, saying they hate him that rebuketh in the gate, and they abhor him that speaketh uprightly. Does that sound familiar? Amen. That's exactly what we see in this hour. What could more accurately describe the typical mindset of the modern professing church and their biblically illiterate converts? Anyone, listen to me, anyone that is opposed to judgment, righteous judgment, anyone who is against judging according to the scripture is at best an immature, babyish Christian and wrapped up in apostasy. I don't care if they've been saved a 100 years. Anyone who'll speak out against judging according to the Bible is already in a spirit or under the influence of the spirit of Antichrist. This hating of him that rebuketh in the gate and a pouring of them that speaketh uprightly is epidemic, even in the so-called conservative churches. You know, it's, it's you know, lamentable how, how little zeal, how little, you know, holy passion there is in modern Christians. But if you want to see what passion they do have, it's always demonstrated in this vicarious vehemence against all denouncing of sin and righteous judgment. You just go to a Bible study or, or get in, you know, mix, uh, you know, elbows with professing Christians at work, etc., and so forth, and you begin to rebuke somebody, and immediately people will almost step in between you and the person you're rebuking. Now, now, brother, we need to love people. Amen. It's a total misunderstanding. Amen. A total misapplying and misinterpretation of the scripture. We're consistently told by the converts of New Babylon that the Bible teaches, Thou shalt not judge as if it's part of the Ten Commandments, amen, and that judgment is unchristlike. After all, they say Jesus and the apostles never judged. Sadly, such statements reveal just how biblically illiterate the modern professing church actually is and how leavened by humanistic sympathy for sin and rebellion. The entire spirit is demonic, You'll remember when Jesus came preaching and uh, it says the demons cried out and they said, what have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of God, or thou come hither to torment us before the time? All that is is demons crying out, judge not. And that statement, it's just a hatred for divine light. It's, it's a, it's a sin-loving plea. Amen, please be quiet and let me sin in peace. Amen. It's the most unloving thing not to bring light where there's darkness, not to warn people who are perishing. There's little doubt this attitude of don't judge is demonstrably sending our society to hell. Why is this? Too often, the modern church has withheld light from those in darkness, failing to be salt, failing to be the witness that God has called us to be. It's impossible to fulfill the Great Commission without telling sinners what a holy God thinks about their sin. Though your sins be as scarlet, come let us reason together. Hey, but we're gonna have to talk about the sin issue. The modern church doesn't wanna talk about the sin issue. The modern church is ashamed of the Bible, ashamed of Jesus Christ. They do not want to offend. Amen. They are crippled by false ideas and false theology. In fact, it's impossible to merely read the word of God without applying God's judgment against sin. 
Uh, that's why all the, the wimpy religionists hate our banners. And you say, there's nothing but the Bible. I didn't think it's too... It's too provocative just to give them the Bible. This is where we have come to. Amen. This is where that spirit of Antichrist has cut leading people that claim to be Christians that are now, you know, saying or asserting that the scriptures are spiritually counterproductive. We as Christians cannot fulfill our call to love sinners apart from declaring God's law, which indeed will judge them. Amen, because it's by the law is the knowledge of sin, amen? You know, I, I've been with people on the streets and been with men who, you'll hear them talking to sinners and they'll say, you're judging me, and, and then they'll say, we're not, we're not judging you. Yes, we are judging you. All that is is that someone's ashamed of the Bible. Like, why, why, are, you, why are you so apprehensive? Of course you're judging them. If they're not born again, what's gonna happen to them? Why are you out here preaching to people, amen, if, they, if, they, if they're under judgment? Don't be ashamed to tell them. You're, we can judge people according to the Bible. The failure to judge has given us a nation infested with promiscuity, militant sodomites and drag queens, drugs, abortion, a corrupt government, heresies, mass confusion, and untold vice. Sadly, the unwritten commands of much of the modern evangelical church are as follows. Number one, be extremely nice at all times. To be pleasant is defined as love. To be described as something other than nice constitutes a walking outside of love as it's currently defined. And by the way, Amen. God-haters need to define you as loving. Judge not. You may approve of anything and everything that professes Jesus Christ, but you must never, ever speak negatively about anything. Number three, never under any circumstances offend anyone. Offending someone is equated with hatred. And there's this, you know, underlying pressure this kind of invisible pressure to fulfill these unwritten commands. And, and again, I may be oversimplifying a bit here, but these are the basic ideas that are almost always universally honored. Anyone who believes this sort of thing is under the spirit of antichrist, amen? Almost subconsciously, people believe that being nice constitutes biblical Christianity, and it's true, amen, we are commanded to be loving, amen, but to truly love is rarely going to be appreciated by evil men. And that's how we temper that. We understand that the Jesus was perfect love. They rejected and spurned love and nailed love to a tree. Jesus was not murdered because he was considered a nice God. We know that. We quote the scripture often to the Sinners on campus, John 7 and 7, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Because he's judging them. <laughs> That's why they murdered him, because he was judging them. And may we understand true love gives people, obviously, what they need, not what they necessarily want. How has God's professing people of people called to establish judgment in the gate, now utterly shun it without even blushing. Obviously, it all begins with one of Satan's most effective methods of spiritual subversion, hath God said. He has cast a shadow on what the Bible actually teaches on judging by grossly perverting the scriptures and essentially nullifying sound biblical judgment by imposing a false interpretation of Matthew 7 and 1 on the rest of Scripture. Judge not that ye be not judged. And so, you know, at least, at least in this hour, I would say that Matthew 7 and 1 is the most misinterpreted, misunderstood, and twisted verse in the Bible. Amen. 
So I want to briefly just consider this passage since it's, you know, all, so often, you know, misquoted and it is certainly misunderstood. We're just going to read it basically in context. Going to read Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Then we'll skip down to verses 13 through 16. Judge not that ye be not judged. For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but consider not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. And Jesus has, you know, made applications to hypocrites, to dogs and swine. Fairly judgmental if the passage, amen, is teaching that we should not judge at all. Lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend you. Now, down to verse 13. Enter ye in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way, which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Very judgmental, Jesus, saying only few shall find it. Beware of false prophets. Well, we're going to talk about false prophets. That takes judgment too. Which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Amen. The statement, ye shall know them by their fruits, is basically teaching us to judge, amen, by men's actions or behavior. So if we carefully read this passage in context, I mean, it doesn't take much if you just read through it in context. We learn, or we learn that Jesus is not establishing what you know, the religious world says, a blanket condemnation of all judgment. But rather, he is clearly warning us of hypocritical judgment, which, amen, as we've said many times, that's the only sort of judgment that's condemned in the Scriptures. And this is confirmed in Romans 2, 1 through 2, therefore, thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest, for wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself, for thou that judgest doest the same things. But we are sure that the judgment of God is according to truth against them which commit such things. So in Matthew 7, Jesus is essentially teaching the same thing that we just read here in Romans chapter 2. We must appropriately deal with ourselves before we can adequately deal with others. That is an absolute biblical principle of judgment. Somebody say amen. amen. Secondly, we also see that Jesus, rather than commanding us not to judge, is actually commanding us to judge. First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. So Jesus is communicating that it's appropriate to cast the moat out of thy brother's eye. Casting the moat or casting the beam is basically a metaphor for judging. Amen. It's, it's appropriate to cast the moat out of thy brother's eye as long as we've honestly dealt with the beam in our own. Incidentally, it's interesting to note that, I, as I pointed out, that Jesus refers to his applicable audience as hypocrites and evil. And so first of all, that tells us, amen, that the exhortation is aimed at hypocritical judgment, not righteous judgment. Secondly, it confirms that righteous judgment is acceptable as Jesus is practicing judgment while he is condemning hypocrites, amen. And so in the next verse, Jesus also commands us, to withhold that which is holy from dogs and pearls from swine. 
How can we do that? How can we obey that command if we can't determine who the dog is and who the swine is? In verse 13 and 14, we're also told to judge what is the straight way and the broad way and to choose one over the other. That demands judgment. In verse 15, Jesus warns us of false prophets and tells us how they can be identified. Amen? That again requires judgment. So obviously all these exhortations either constitute judgment or demand that we judge to fulfill. Amen? The Bible says we're not to be unevenly yoked with unbelievers. I cannot obey that if I do not know who the unbeliever is, if I'm not to determine who's on their way to hell and who's not, amen, I cannot obey the Bible. Moreover, we're commanded to judge all over the scriptures. And I'm just gonna offer a few samplings here, but it's all over the Bible, at least the King James Bible, amen. Proverbs 31 and 9, open thy mouth, judge righteously. Plead the cause of the poor and needy. Ezekiel 22 and 2. Now thou son of man, wilt thou judge? Wilt thou judge the bloody city? Yea, thou shalt show her all her abominations. Ezekiel 23 and 36. The Lord said, moreover unto me, son of man, wilt thou judge? Amen. And Luke 12, 57. Yea, and why even of yourselves judge not what is right? 1 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. 1 Corinthians 6, 2-3. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world, and of the world shall be judged of you? Are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? Amen. Our text, 1 Corinthians 14 and 29, let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. Commandments to judge. And again, just scratching the surface. Amen. So also the false judge not concept is internally conflicted. It is a contradiction philosophically. So, you know, one thing about truth, The truth of God is always philosophically consistent. There's only one thing logical, amen, and that is God and his mind, amen? So how can we define judging? In one sense, it's merely making a decision or a conclusion discerning that one choice is superior to another. We decide to drink milk rather than radiator fluid. That is judging, amen? Telling, telling your child you did a good job, amen? Refusing to be conned by a con man. Both of those demand that you exercise judgment. Should I eat mothballs or M&Ms, amen? That demands judgment. Judging is a necessary part of life. We all make such judgments moment by moment every day. However, moral judgment is more specific. Moral judgments define reality according to biblical revelation, and they provide us with spiritual absolutes and answer questions like, are Mormons genuine Christians? Are they part of a cult? Must men repent and be born again to go to heaven? Do Muslims serve the same God as Bible believers, etc., and so forth? So the answers to these questions are found in the scriptures, amen? And they reflect the mind of God, the judge of all the universe, whose every judgment is righteous and just, pure and holy, amen? What is communicated in God's word is the revelation of God's righteous judgments. And we are never to be ashamed of these absolutes, Amen. It would be no different than you. Amen. Seeing people, if you lived, you know, like Brother Jeremy lives here on Busy Corner Road, and you see some young people 
driving by 110 miles an hour wouldn't be, you know, would be very appropriate for him to come and flag them down. You're breaking the law. And if you continue to break the law, amen, you're going to pay the consequences. Anyone who says that that is unloving or wrong is simply stupid and deceived, amen? There's absolutely no biblical argument to support such absurdity. Yet the no one can judge, judging his unloving advocates, fail to see if they believe their own religious rhetoric, they can make no moral conclusions. And as we've often pointed out, it demands judgment to condemn judgment. If you really believe you can't judge, then you can't make any more. You can't tell me I'm wrong. You can't point out that I'm judging. It demands judgment. And that, that alone exposes how foolish and how satanic this is. It is deception, to say, and it is gross deception. And the reason we're starting with this is because this is the backdrop where the apostasy takes place, where the lights are dimmed and the lights are turned off. Amen. And people that won't judge are completely open to every voice that mimics Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that we have boldness, amen, that we have confidence Amen, to judge according to the word of God. We all judge. It's inescapable. The real issue is whether or not our judgment is in accordance with God and his word. Moreover, another philosophical problem with the never judge doctrine is the hypocritical acceptance of positive judgments. According to the twisted modern view of judgment, judging is always wrong, because only God can judge. So, so it's true that only God has the authority to finally, you know, eternally execute his judgment on sin. None of us have the authority to put someone in hell. But that's not what we're doing when we're judging. We're really just warning people of the way judgment is going to go because God has already revealed it to mankind in his love that we would avoid judgment. Amen? But as Christians, we have every right, we even have the obligation to communicate God's revealed truth and forewarning men of sin and the consequences of sin. We often talk about this, but just to reiterate it, when people say, love your neighbors yourself, uh, they're quoting Jesus usually, but they don't realize that Jesus was quoting the law from Leviticus 19, 17 through 18, which reads, Thou shalt not hate thy brother in thine heart. Thou shalt in any wise rebuke thy neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. Thou shalt not avenge nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I am the Lord. Notice, amen, to not rebuke your neighbor for sin is defined by the Bible here as hatred, Amen. So what these religious hypocrites fail to see is this. It demands as much eternal wisdom to conclude something or someone is of God as it does to conclude something or someone isn't of God. So if you say, I believe someone is a Christian, that's a judgment. If you say, this preacher is preaching the truth, amen, this preacher is preaching the gospel, that demands judgment. This movement is of God, et cetera, and so forth. One of my children was talking to, uh, you know, one of the persons that, um, that left here or that was basically put out, and uh, they were, you know, accusing, et cetera, and so forth. And one of the things that they said was that they believed that Leon had repented. And, of course, I said he didn't repent, and he didn't repent. Amen. But, you know, whenever my you know, son said, well, the pastor said he didn't repent. And he tried to use the analogy if your wife was in rebellion and, and then uh, you didn't believe she repented, but everyone around. And he said, uh, no, that's not the same. And, uh, you know, who, who, Brother, Brother Britt is not God. How, how's he going to determine who repents? But he fails to see he's determining that he had repented that. You see, this is how deception works. It makes you stupid. 
If, you, if, you, if you're saying, I can't determine as the authority that he repented, then you can't determine that he did repent. If the modern perverted view of judging is right, we can make no judgments at all, which is both philosophically impossible and disobedient to the scriptures. And John's gospel, Jesus exhorted, judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. And what you find is people that are against judgment, they tend to judge, but according to appearance. We're to judge according to the mind of God, according to the Bible. In fact, in many cases, failure to judge is not only unloving, but it is sinful. Ezekiel 33 and 8, when I say unto the wicked, O wicked man, thou shalt surely die if thou dost not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Do you see it? If I don't sound the trumpet alarm against someone's sin, I know they're in sin. I know if they die, they're going to hell. If I don't warn them, then their blood is going to be on my hand. Tragically, this condition has so softened the modern church that the church is almost unable to proclaim the truth of God's law and mind. And again, we're, we're constantly quoting that scripture, they that forsake the law praise the wicked. And that's what happens. Amen. When you, when you, that, that's a result or that's a byproduct of forsaking the law or becoming ashamed of the law, or being deceived and believing the law has no place in the New Testament and no application in gospel preaching. When you forsake the law, you will, amen, by and by, praise the wicked. But such that are jealous, that keep the law, they contend. Evil men understand not judgment Amen. Who's not understanding judgment? Oh, the poor little things. They just haven't read enough of that in the Bible. No, they're evil. This is the condemnation. When someone just is opposed to judgment, they're evil. They're evil. Sadly, it emasculates those who would be a bright and a shining light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. The very thing that the world needs, the very thing that you know, believers need, there has to be judgment. You turn the light off, nobody can see straight. True faith demands a scriptural confirmation. This is a little bit different uh, angle here, but I want to make sure I cover this. Matthew 24, 23 through 24. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So here in Matthew 24, Jesus outlining the spiritual atmosphere before he returns. In essence, he forewarns us that false prophets using extra biblical means, something other than the Bible, anything other than the Bible, signs and wonders, and by that means will promote false ideas, false Christs, and false movements. So signs and wonders could be reports you know, of false miracles, but they also could be reports, you know, positive reports of people being blessed, you know, hundreds of people getting born again, thousands have been swept into the kingdom, people have been filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. They've been meeting every day for, that's a sign and wonder. They've been meeting every day, continuously for three weeks. And again, could that be God? It could be God, but that should not move anyone. In other words, so what? means nothing at all. You say, well, that's not What did Jesus say? He clearly and unequivocally commands us, don't believe it. I'm just obeying the Bible. 
You shouldn't believe things like that. You hear a report of that? You, you may not make an absolute judgment until you have all the facts. But don't you believe it? Don't you be moved by sentiment or emotion or something other than God's word? Because that ain't faith. That's unbelief. Proverbs 14 and 15, the simple believeth every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. This is also consistent, amen, with the command found in our text, 1 John 4 and 1. These are commands to believe not. You understand? The Bible tells you, don't you believe it? Beloved, believe not every spirit but try the spirits whether they're of God because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You should never believe anything from anyone, anytime, unless it's biblically confirmed. And that's a hard thing to discipline. That, that's not, that runs contrary to the flesh. It runs contrary to the natural man. You mean someone, they seem not, that doesn't mean you, you're suspicious or you're fault-finding. Do you understand just means I don't care what this brother looks like. I don't care what he, you know, it seems like he's very, I don't care what this church, this ministry, this movement, whatever it is, I refuse to believe it's God until it's confirmed by the Bible. Again, God's spirit by God's word commands us to believe not. In Revelations 2 and 2, notice how the Lord Jesus commends the local church at Ephesus for exercising sound judgment. Under the angel of the church of Ephesus, write these things, saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. That is unloving. That ain't what he said. And thou hast tried them, judged them, which say they're apostles. See, the, the, the modern church, if you just say you love Jesus, then they say you love Jesus. They believe anything and everything. All you have to do is tell them what they want to hear. Just quote a Bible verse, and they believe it. But that's not what this church did. They said they were apostles, said we're going to find out whether you are or not. And we found out you were lying. They put them on trial. It's important to note both 1 John 4 and 1 and Revelations 2 and 2 use the verb try. Try the spirits, whether they're of God. Try them which say they're apostles and are not. Incidentally, that word try literally means to put on trial to see whether a thing is genuine or not. To examine, to test, to prove to discern, to deem worthy or not. You should not believe anything that you haven't put on trial. Amen? And the jury comes back with a sound verdict. You're to believe nothing. You know, if the DA indicts a man here at Amit County of murder, he's not going to just simply call in the accused and sit him down and say, did you murder your wife? Oh, no, I'd never do that. And said, he's, he's innocent. <laughs> That's not what he's going to do. He's going to arrange and organize a very thorough investigation. He's going to do some digging. He's even going to get down to the DNA, amen, in the case. He's going to seek to uncover every fact. He is going to probe until he finds out exactly what happened, amen. Those who refuse to try the spirits, they are disobeying God. And they facilitate falsehood and hypocrisy. And God forbid the cowardly yellow-backed preacher that won't teach people to judge. For great shall be his judgment on the day of judgment. Jeremiah 5 and 31, the prophets prophesy falsely and the priests bear rule by their means. My people love to have it so. And what will ye do in the end thereof? In other words, when the pulpit's false 
Amen. When, when the ecclesiastical rule refuses light among God's people, there's very little that can be done unless that is reversed. Amen. You know, I, on Facebook, whenever this Osbury uh, movement or revival, when that began to, uh, you know, people started posting about it. And over and over again, I was reading these long threads where people, you know, there are people that were genuinely asking biblical questions. And I don't know how many people I saw saying, you know, they're accusing everyone of unbelief because they were questioning whether this was God. Why don't you just believe it? As if scolding people that they're guilty of unbelief, amen? When the fact is, amen, it's unbelief to believe something without confirming it by the Bible. You see how they turn everything on its head? And so it is, true faith cultivates a healthy spiritual skepticism which dogmatically refuses to approve of anything it cannot scripturally verify. You hear that? Take heed, Jesus said, that ye be not deceived. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. Now that could mean there are people that come in the name of Jesus, and they say themselves that they're the Messiah. But it also could mean that they come in the name of Jesus, and they say that he is the Messiah. Amen. Remember, Jesus declared, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow. There's all sorts of conditions that are communicated. In fact, you know, the ones saved always saved people will cite John 10. You know, no man shall pluck me out of your hand. But they, they don't see all these conditions Amen, that are communicated here. Amen, if we know his voice, then we follow. But if you don't know his voice, you're not gonna be able to follow. And the stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. You see, real sheep have what's necessary in the spirit, provision in the spirit to make a distinction between the voice of Jesus and the voice of something other than Jesus. This scriptural truth reveals discernment is linked both to the intuitive as well as honed by the investigative. Amen. I hope you understand what I'm saying there. In other words, if you really know Jesus, amen, then that, that you, you, you have the genuine. And when a counterfeit comes along, amen, it's probably one of the greatest ways you discern, just like bank tellers, amen, they give them a real $100 bill and they study that real $100 bill so there can be a comparison, amen, with the counterfeit. So that is intuitive. You must have both of these things. But also, amen, there is the investigative. True Christians intimately know and are familiar with the good shepherd, so they have the ultimate reference point for comparison to strangers. But they also hear his voice, or they hear his word. That isn't, I heard Jesus speaking from the other side of the room. No, when, when the Bible says they hear his voice, that means they obey what they hear. They follow him meaning they try the spirits. They prove all things. They refuse to open themselves up without testing every voice. Now, you listen to me. If you don't try the spirits, if you don't prove all things, you're not going to follow Jesus. If you don't try the spirits and you don't prove every voice by the word of God, ultimately, you'll not follow Jesus, but you're going to follow a stranger. That's the condition. So we see via fear, Condemnation, delusion, Satan has imposed a perverted interpretation of the doctrine of judgment on the modern church. And in doing so, he has effectively turned out the lights. This is crucial in the spirit, for the enemy needs the cover of spiritual darkness so as to go undetected. Ephesians 5 and 13, but all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. 
Don't reprove people. That's unloving. All that is is someone's going to turn off the spiritual life. For whatsoever doth make manifest is life. And so it is having the modern church refusing to employ biblical judgment, a backdrop of great darkness facilitates the great falling away. And that, that point there is really the basic or the foundation here that I want to communicate as we move into this you know, study of apostasy. The lights have to be dimmed. The lights have to be turned back. Amen. And if you refuse to have the light turned off, friend, you're going to be able to see. But if you let the, that spirit of Antichrist intimidate you or delude you into believing you're not to judge, then you're going to dim the light. That doesn't guarantee absolutely you can't be deceived. Amen. But if you're in the dark, then you will be deceived ultimately. Seeing the scriptures command us to faithfully practice biblical judgment, if we refuse to do so, we are in rebellion. It's rebellion not to judge. Yeah, it's not just, a, just some, you know, excusable, you know, doctrinal error. It is sin not to judge. And it's sin to teach people not to judge. It's not sin to teach people not to judge, you know, unrighteously. Or judging, you know, hypocritical judgment is wrong. And that should be taught. In other words, if I'm doing something, I need to repent before I try to tell someone else to obey. That's easy to understand. But teaching people I shouldn't decide what's God and what isn't God by the scriptures, that is sinful to teach and sinful to believe. Without judgment, there can be no deliverance. Remember, under the old covenant, God raised up judges to deliver Israel from her enemies. Without judgment, there can be no revival. As we know, true revival demands a renewed conformity to biblical morality. However, it also means a reclamation of divine truth that has been lost. And that's one of the marks of revival. Go all the way back, whether it be, of course, Pentecost, Amen, the beginning, and all the truth was exalted. Amen, and out of that revival came the, the apostles, you know, being inspired to write the epistles and set forth New Testament doctrine or apostolic doctrine. Amen, and then you go back and look into all uh, the valid revivals over history, whether it's been the Reformation, which restored, first of all, the authority of Scripture, the authority of Scripture, but also the solas, etc., and so forth, into the holiness revivals and uh, Azusa Street, which restored the gifts, etc., and so forth. So those truths which have been lost, amen, have to be reclaimed by the real church. And this is a lost truth. It has great consequences as well. Remove not the ancient landmark, which our fathers have said. Isaiah 58 and 12, speaking of those, amen, who truly are believing, fasting, amen, a, a life that is seeking to please God, amen, and trusting, interceding on the behalf of the body, and they shall be of thee, shall build the old waste places, thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repair of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in, amen, that's why we're teaching this. Amen. So first of all, you can be established in this, that you're not questioning. I, I was just on the phone with a, a brother who's a pastor last week who, uh, and he wants to do right. He's got a right spirit and a right heart, and he's just, but he gets so discouraged because of all the opposition. You know, I'm judging. Maybe I'm too harsh. I'm, I'm just, he's just teaching the Bible. Amen. But all the, you know, uh, the resistance uh, causing to question, etc., and so forth. You've got to pray through to a place, amen, where you are established in these things. Where there's courage, boldness to practice the Bible without apprehension or fear. So for us, may we never forget the exhortation to judge righteously according to the word of God. Prove all things. Hold fast, that which is good. May we be wise to try everything, to judge all things, 
to be very careful not to become vulnerable to the corrupted and leavened. Amen. When we're hearing preaching, when we're subjecting ourselves to any sort of ministry, Proverbs 23, 1 through 2 says, When thou sittest to eat with a ruler, consider diligently what is before thee, and put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man given to appetite. I believe, amen, there is a natural application here, but there's also a spiritual application, and that knife is the sword of the word of God. You sit down to hear preaching, amen, you listen to the debate, whatever it may be, you better be careful what you're listening to. You better put that that filter of the sword right here. I'm going to regurgitate and spit up everything that ain't God. And I don't believe in that, you know, that old religious idea, you know, to, uh, you know, eat the fish and spit out the bones. I don't, if it's got a lot of bones in it, you ought not listen to it. Amen? Yeah. We listen to subject yourself to things that are pure and holy. I don't, I don't have anything I could learn from these God-hating heretics. Amen? Praise God. So this is the first introductory thought. Like I said, we're going to take our time. We're going to deal with this very thoroughly. But this is one of those first things. Amen. And next uh, week or Wednesday night, we're going to deal with another Jesus, another gospel, or another spirit and another gospel. Amen. Let's stand. Praise God. Hallelujah. Lift your hands and love him here this morning. Teach us, Lord, to walk in the light, to not be ashamed of the light. Know that that is the condemnation that light has come in the world. Men prefer darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Father, I pray that we would draw ourselves into the light. We would love the light. We would love judgment. We would establish judgment in the gate as you've commanded. Give us wisdom. I pray, Father, indeed we would have redemptive spirit that we would not just strain at gnats and swallow camels but we would practice righteous judgment and we would not believe those things Father that are told to us without scriptural confirmation we ask it in the name of Jesus everyone say amen praise God give him a hand clap of praise amen God bless you we'll be coming back tonight, 6 o'clock, to seek the Lord. Amen. Come ready to pray again Tuesday. Planning on preaching at LSU, 10.30 a.m. in the morning, meeting there to pray at the, at the uh, flagpole.